Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 64, Lasting Consequences. Lasting Consequences. Okay, so before we talk about like lasting consequences, what are just some of the general uh, consequences in D&D? We got damage, we got, um, think like like conditions, you can be paralyzed, asleep, poisoned, charmed, prone. Oh, true. Like, it doesn't uh, get yeah, much shorter uh, than an that. An NPC getting mad at you, um, uh, your, how a faction views you, there are plenty of social consequences too. You could resin undead, but because it's illegal, you can get arrested and then <laughs> tried and executed. <laughs> David's just getting hyper specific. Seems like a lasting your consequence. Your friend Carl comes out and he says, don't do that, I told you not to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, all of these things, uh, most of the things that you get inflicted on you, um, especially some of the like more of the math stuff, like damage or conditions, they all have like kind of rules um, that govern them. Um, and once you take damage or get a condition, those sorts of things, it's super easy to get rid of them. It's just a long rest. Some of mm-hmm. them even a short rest. Um, sometimes it's it's even just a, any healing spell. Just boom. It cures anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, a lot of people have complained about that. That makes D&D feel so uh, just not that um, intriguing. Because you can easily just sleep off any nightmare scenario that you just wit- witnessed, right? You walk in. Uh, to a room full of Lovecraftian horror monsters <laughs> that kill your entire family and brutally maim and injure you, and and you're you get two death saves, but then uh, you somehow succeed and, and you get up, and and you walk out of the room, you close the door, you take eight hours of sleep, <laughs> and you're fine, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> of which, which really kind of uh, removes a lot of the immersion of the game, specifically uh, 5e. I've, I've heard a lot of people complain about this. So a way to solve that is to add some more permanent, uh, lingering, long-lasting effects of combat or social situations um, that make the game more like, feel more real and that you're more immersed in the game and that the stakes are higher. You can't just take a nap. Um, to fix what might happen if you if you go into a room with a lot of dangerous things. Hmm. Uh, wouldn't this kind of upset the feeling of Five E as a heroic fantasy, Jake? So so yes, there there is um, since Five E is so popular, a lot of people uh, try to uh, move it in different directions, um, and its default state is yeah, very heroic fantasy where you just you know you're raise your sword and shield and defeat the monsters and feel good. It's this power fantasy. We all know that. Um, but there are a lot of people um, that want to still play the 5e uh, mechanics, but to have more lasting, impactful um, damage be inflicted upon them. Um, a lot of people want to be punished. I mean, that's why I think of Dark Souls, right? Like True. That game is exceptionally hard and punishing and... People love it. They love the challenge. They love uh, they really love the difficulty there, um, and so so a lot of people want to add that into into five E, and so little did I know, there actually is a table in the DMG 
like there always is, my friends, um, <laughs> it away. has a table for lingering injuries. Oh, what chapter is this in? So this is DMG 272. For those of us on D&D Beyond, uh, what chapter is that in? Oh, Page 272. David? Dungeon Master's, Dungeon Master's Workshop. <laughs> okay, thank you, helpful Jake, not David. <laughs> uh, and then, All right, so Will, when you find it, go ahead and read, read them out. Injuries? Lingering. It's combat oh, options. It's under injuries, lingering injuries. Got it. Ooh, all right. Should we roll? This is a table. We should roll on this. Oh, yes. All right, okay. uh, David, get out your D20. You're about to get hit by an orc. Who's wielding a two-handed, double-edged battle axe? It Punish swings. Me. It's gonna roll a twenty. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry uh, for the crit. And now we're gonna determine your injury. And how do we do that? You roll a d twenty again. Another, Same one that hurt you. Another one. Yep. Uh, that is sixteen. Oh, this is a festering wound. Your hit Ooh. point maximum is reduced by one every twenty-four hours that the wound persists. If your hit points drop to zero, you die. If it receives magical healing, uh, then it just completely heals. And it's also you can do it with a medicine check, but it's pretty difficult. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So these are these are pretty cool. So lose an eye, lose an arm or a hand, lose a foot or leg, a limp, an internal injury, broken ribs, a horrible scar, which gives disadvantage on charisma checks, which I love. Um, the, the festering wound, and then a minor scar. Hmm. Yeah, I, I really like how this, um, which, yeah, I, I've been looking kind of a way to workshop um, some of this into my newer campaign, which I, I warned my players um, is going to be uh, more brutal. It's going to have um, some some things like this. And I was thinking of how to implement it, and I, lo and behold, it's it's right here in the DMG. So I, I'm going to edit this some, but I, I'm really excited to see, to utilize this and put it into into effect. I would say that even some of the um, the lasting injuries are pretty easy to solve because a lot of these say like, oh, healing magic undoes it. Um, but I might make mm-hmm. it even harder or require like a certain level spell slot so that some oh, definitely. first level uh, cure minor wounds doesn't just fix everything. Yeah, it doesn't just definitely. make that uh, go away. Or yeah, a medicine and, and we, check. Like you, you see, incorporate the medicine I've check. I've implemented that before. Yeah, the medicine check because remember... I think we talked about it in an earlier episode, how a lot of us viewed healing as it just kind of fast forwards time. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like, um, and so I've started to make my players uh, like have to set the bone before they heal it or else it'll heal wrong. Mm. And that's, that's made it um, a, a lot more interesting. And it's also made the medicine skill useful because no one picks, why would anyone pick medicine when they have magical healing? I like that a and lot. And it makes that useful. Yeah, so so think of like a festering wound that David just got from this this battle axe. Um, like if they just fast forward time, you're just gonna see the festering spread, mm-hmm. right? Like unless they um, unless they do a medicine check and like you know maybe put a a special like druid um, spore on it that like cures the or you know however the players will creatively solve that problem. Unless they do that, yeah, like healing it if that fast forward magic will just like make it rot and make it worse like he would almost take just damage mean, if you heal the festering wound <laughs> just making it gush all over your blood out yes. <laughs> it's like a tarantino movie at that point 
it is quite a thing. And I think that making um, combat more lethal and making these lasting injuries matter um, would really change the feeling of your game. Yeah, and and that's the that's the goal. I want there to be a sort of like me, you know, smiling from behind my DM screen, be like he crits, and they're like, no, because then they have to roll, and you know, they they could lose an eye right there. They could, um, and I'm definitely going to add some stuff to this. Well, well, let me ask you guys, what what, what would you do uh, to to change some of these or to add? Is there anyone that you would add? Oh, um. I mean, these are this pretty much covers everything in terms of like foot, leg, arm, hand, and so on. Um, I don't know. This is like I said. The thing I would change is probably the difficulty of curing it, and I think I your, your medicine roll does a good job with that. I would have other mm-hmm. things that like affect your abilities, like um, like maybe one that affects like your casting. So you like you get hit in the head, and it, like you can't focus on your cast, so you have oh. disadvantage on all like future casts until you like. Do something to, or um, yeah, have disadvantage on concentration. Hmm. Yeah, or you know, oh, there's there's so many different things that you could do to, um, basically like make someone less sneaky. Like uh, the rogue gets um, injured in a way which he's unable to hide in shadows well, as limp. effectively. Yeah, a limp. True. Yeah. Or he where he can only like uh, sneak if he you know uses a quarter of his speed instead of half or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, that's good. I, I think there are things that you can do to um, have it where it's it's more personal to the character instead of just being like, oh, I lose, like, I have this festering wound, like, I'll get it taken care of. Where it's like, no, this is this is a big thing for my class. Like, I need to yeah. get this taken care of. And I, I've done a lot of these before, but it's always been like in like a crucial plot moment or, you know, back when I was in my more railroady days. Um I might do one of these uh, as a character moment or something. Um, or, like, if I get really creative during an attack, I might go, oh, hi, you're, like, you have roll, constitution check, oh, now you have a limp. Um, but I think it's really good to have it codified in a list like this because um, you you have so many things going on at the table. It really it really helps to have a lot of random tables um, to be able to, to pull from. And so I think these will help a lot. I think also um, just putting exhaustion on a lot of these is yes, um, it's yes. such a simple thing, and the the chart is so it's helpful. So underutilized it is, um, it is, and I think that having um, basically exhaustion that you can't cure except by curing the injury um, helps it stick a little bit more than it does normally. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I really like that. Um, of. Yeah, maybe they have to just roll a con check, like if they get uh, a lingering injury to see if they get an exhaustion or something. Or maybe that could be another one to add. Just boom, you take a point of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, exhaustion, I always harp on this, is just criminally (laughs) underutilized. Because it is, I mean, yeah, now I think about it, like it is one of the kind of tools that 5e has to provide lasting consequences. Or not lasting consequences, but a a penalty that you can't ignore. Right. Um, you know, you can trudge around in the jungle all day, but like eventually you're going to like be knocked unconscious just from exhaustion. Um, and so, yeah, utilizing those, I think another one I would add is, um, one just automatically, uh, bubble in of death, save, fail. And so mm-hmm. then you're, you're kind of, the tension is ramped up because you know, if, if I go down, then I'm going to be in a much worse spot for getting back up 
I really like that idea, Jake, because even um, let's say one injury fills in one and another fills in two so that you are always uh, like on the edge of death. Like if you go down, yeah, like uh, if you, you could die. Down, you're oh, on the brink already. Yeah. Would you ever give them an injury that is like very, very difficult to like cure? Like, you know, something only by means of like a wish or something along those terms where it's just like extremely <sighs> difficult. And it's like almost a permanent disability. So in the game that I'm running right now, there was someone who had an injury where their leg was crushed underneath. uh, I forget exactly what, but it was uh, essentially destroyed. Their leg was destroyed. And uh, the only way to cure it is they had to go to a big city and find someone who could cast a ritual spell to restore life and limb. And it cost a Uh. bunch of money. and, um, And really, that was kind of the penalty. But... Um, it it was a major setback because their movement was was slow and you couldn't just cast a low level heal on it. Yeah, no, I think I wouldn't do something that's like permanent that would require like a wish spell. I think that's no, but like something of like a very difficult where it's like yeah, you have to go on a quest in order to like take care of it. That might be more no, like definitely. a curse. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, these are similar to curses almost. Um, yeah. And, you know, a lot of curses just can be hand-waved away with uh, some, some with just healing or some with remove curse. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I like the idea of of being like, oh, you lost your hand? There's a, a gnome up in the, the mountains <laughs> that knows how to replace that. But, you know, that's like a, you know, 10,000-mile journey for you. <laughs> and so you're like, ah, do I learn to... To, to make use uh, with no hands, maybe just, you know, strap a shield to that nub. Um, or am I going to, like, make my the party go out of their way to to hunt down this guy? I really like that. It forces player choices. Um, you know, imagining, like, this, this fighter looking down, it's like, are we really going to, <laughs> to go out of our way to get him a new hand? <laughs> Doesn't seem worth it to me. <laughs> um oh another thing uh to add to this obviously uh more lasting effects are uh sanity rules um i think this is something that is really lost in the heroic high fantasy of, of 5e is like when you see things like this especially if you're playing a game that's more brutal uh, especially if you're uh, a dungeon master that is describing the gore in all of its horrific detail um and the, if the tone is like that then I think you should implement more sanity rules um, and players should react accordingly because it doesn't make sense for someone to just gleefully like slice their way through goblins. Like just imagine like killing three goblins, like really imagine that killing three goblins and look at the aftermath. Like all of us right now, I bet one of us would like get nauseous just (laughs) looking at it. And so those sorts of things, like those sanity rules, um, are really, I think, can add a lot to it too, and make it feel more real. If your tone is that way, this seems like a really good place to plug our friend Matt Corley's book, "The Lamps Light Sanitarium." He yes. made these Ooh, rules yes. for sanity, and he makes it really hard to uh, to cure. That you can't just sleep overnight and get better. Yeah, yeah. There's and, and there's varying tiers of it. I, I really like his um, for a more horror game. Yeah, because it makes it like scary it makes you like i don't know there's 
eventually if someone plays D&D for long enough or if they're, you know, an RPG, tabletop RPG veteran, like, they're just kicking doors down, like, let's get them, you know? And some of these, if you're like, oh my gosh, like my, you know, hardcore level 15 dwarf warrior, you know, might throw up or poop his pants <laughs> or go catatonic, like, it makes it much more, like, the stakes are higher. And, and there's varying levels of sanity. Like, there's some... I, can't remember where I saw it. Let me look it up real quick. There's some sanity rules in the GMG too, and they have good examples of uh, minor versus major. Can we just say again, the DMG really has answered in advance almost every question you could have. Seriously, it, it yeah, it's so it's such an underutilized tool. Like before you go googling, just if you have a DMG, check check into it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so here, short-term madness. Um, so yeah, some of these are, are not that bad at all. You know, just start screaming or just start laughing or weeping. Um, you know, it just be, gets the frightened condition. Um, oh yeah, you immediately uses their action to attack the, the nearest creature, regardless of friend or foe. Um, yeah, character is paralyzed. Yeah, um, and so th- those aren't as bad, but then they get into much worse. Um, oh, and then they have the permanent ones where, be, like, become an alcoholic, steal everything you see, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, just become nihilistic, like, lose your uh, traits, bonds, and flaws. Hmm. Uh, oh, what become masochistic? I just enjoy hurting people. <laughs> yeah, some of them are, are nuts. So, so yeah, you can basically, um, you can definitely tailor it for your game. Um, but I think sanity on top of lingering effects can can add that extra oomph um, to, to put a little more fear in your players' hearts. And I'm a big fan of having the players be fearful. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> be afraid. Uh, probably the biggest uh, long-lasting effect is death. So, yes. Jake, in it's your true. world, death is permanent and there is no resurrection magic. So, uh, yes. speak on that. So, yeah, I definitely, I mean, yeah, that is the, the longest lasting. Um. <laughs> <laughs> It'll last for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I like, um, I've talked about this at length in, in previous episodes, but I really like the fear that um, the players have when they're like, crap, if they go down, like we have to get them up. Like, we can't be like, okay, just let let the werewolf um, rip him to shreds. We'll, we'll res him after. Like, that's not an option. Like, it, it really makes this thing of like, oh, gosh, like, he's down. Gragnar's down. If I don't, I have to just drop everything um, to save him, you know. And I've seen people, you know, drop sacks of gold to go, you know, save some. Because they know, crap, they have two death saves. I have to. Um, and yet, death being permanent and just not having the resurrection spells... Um, makes it the stakes that much higher and just for that type of game that i want it's just it's it's added a lot that's been one of the changes that i think has been really good i think that's a great uh observation there is is making the stakes get higher and i think that the entire goal of long-term effects is to raise the stakes like imagine if you have a a long-lasting effect of whatever disease, curse, poison, whatever, um, that has just lowered the maximum hit points of a character. Um, And over time, it's like, you know, they will die soon because they have five health and they're level 15. Yeah. Yeah. So more examples of that, um, like think diseases 
or poisons um, or even curses. They have this sort of um, like in 5e, there's kind of like a, oh, here's the problem. And then there's like this spell that's usually just the key that you put into the lock. And it's like, okay, solved. <laughs> um, I really like ramping up diseases and poisons and curses to where it's like, okay, you're on a timer. Like you have to get them across the continent in a week or they will die. Huh. And like, like that is, you know, and a lot of players, I think this is good to say, to do that to players, I think you, you've got to make sure beforehand that they're up for those kind of stakes and those kind of lasting consequences. Um, because if you do this thing like a bunch of 12-year-olds playing, who it's like their first time, you know, it, it, them getting stabbed by like a, uh, a goblin with a poison dagger. And it's like, okay, uh, you know that cool barbarian you made? Like he's guaranteed going to die in three days. <laughs> Unless you travel halfway around the world and yes. find some weird necromancer. <laughs> so, I think it's good yeah. to, obviously, um, to communicate with your players and get, uh, it, are, are you okay with these lasting consequences? Are you okay with combat being a lot more scary? Like, are you okay with your character? Very rarely, but there's a chance, like, they go insane. Um, those are things you need to communicate up front because a lot of people, and and make sure your players are honest because some of them will go, Oh, okay. Like, but make sure it's like, no, are you okay with this? <laughs> because it could be an awkward position down the road. If, if, you know, a character dies suddenly and kind of like anticlimactically and, and the person is just really bummed out. Like you don't want to have anyone's really bummed out at the table. You don't make your players cry, but you can break their hearts. <laughs> yes. Find that, find that, uh, line. <laughs> I was going to say another uh, long-term consequence is aging. Oh, yes. This, yes. So yeah. there are a lot of um, creatures and things in the world that can age you, like forwards, like a lot. And if you're not careful, it can just like lead to death very easily. Or just having a really old, frail character. That's true. There's something that... Um uh happened in my campaign uh, as some of our listeners will know i track time very closely in my campaign and um something that came out of that was tracking was tracking the age of the players or sorry the age uh-huh. of the characters and like i have their birthday and on a spreadsheet somewhere and that's <laughs> so weird of of like um yeah uh, and and what a lasting consequence that is of like david saying if a a, a ghost or whatever a monster it is grabs you and it sucks your life away and suddenly i put in like oh like you were 20 years older and your stats go down because you're like an old man yeah um that's pretty terrible definitely yeah so one of the last sessions i have my player in my in my old world um my player they were uh basically going the sewers and they, they fought this big radioactive dragon that was like a custom creature that i made um i actually made it for a way older campaign but they just got like three nat 20s on stealth checks in a row and just completely avoided it (laughs) and so i'm like are you kidding me so i brought it back uh but basically its main thing is it kind of had this like um i had just watched chernobyl and so radiation like horrified me and so um when the players were in proximity or when it did its breath on you one of the effects is that it aged you rapidly and so um it was really interesting that like the players, the ones who had got breathed on the most, like came out of the encounter like ten years older. Jeez. 
And and it was like really interesting because the players I think were level like eighteen or something. It was like very high level stuff. Um, but just to see them kind of walk into back into Waterdeep, and to be older was just a really cool thing that none of us had ever you know thought about in game. Um, but to think, oh wait, yeah, how old was your character? Like, what does adding ten years look like? Because one of our players was playing like an older blood hunter, and so age on top of that makes it oh. We're, we're hitting retirement now. Like, there's no... <laughs> which is really, really cool to think about. Because, um, yeah, otherwise you don't. So, yeah, that's a good one, David. Age. Mm-hmm. That is good. So, one of the other ones, it's it's kind of like a more historical one, and that is being branded. Oh, my oh. gosh. So, back in the day, um, during the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean era, they would... <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> Uh, the historians in the audience just rolled their eyes. <laughs> they would they would brand pirates so they know who is you know criminals because they didn't it wasn't easy to keep records and when someone went to a new town they wouldn't necessarily know that person they could change their look so Ooh, one of the ways yes. that they got around that was by branding people with you know a symbol marking them as a criminal and I think that's a very interesting consequence in the world that. Not a lot of people bring to D&D where if your players are, you know, murder hobos, they could be branded. And it's not something that, in my world, um, I would do it to where it's magical and it's not something that could be removed by, you know, any, like, realistic means. Um, So it would be a more permanent thing because of, you know, player actions. So it would be a a very serious ordeal. Yes. Yeah, I... um... In, in one of my older campaigns, I had uh, the Zentarim, like the basically the Assassin's Guild, um, could magically tattoo someone's left hand with like a snake image, like just on their uh, the top of their hand. Um, and so players would see, I think I had this scene where like um, some guy's just drinking at the bar and they notice his tattoo and someone comes up and just like grabs him and takes him into the basement because like they have... Like, it's just a known bounty to see anyone with, like, a snake on the top of their left hand. Hmm. Um, and so they would, like, go to, like, the Thieves Guild, and they'd notice everyone's wearing gloves, just so you can't tell who's marked or not. Hmm. And it was, it was really cool to see that, like, just a little detail to add in. You're like, okay, you're making this deal. He's going to take you here. Oh, and you notice that he's marked. And so it kind of just, like, uh, adds some intrigue. No, I, I really love, like, being marked or being uh tattooed or being branded of like oh what did they do or what does that mean mm. that's such a good uh world building uh detail jake yeah it's I, I, I can't remember where i got i definitely stole it from somewhere but um yeah it just anything where you know even if if someone has like a uh maybe like just a big brand on like their uh cheek or something and it's like oh that's next slave like hmm. they must have escaped from slavery or something, and there's a stigma behind that, or maybe they're valued even higher because they managed to escape. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I love the world building involved with like people who are marked, um, or even marking your players. What that does. Oh yeah, because in one of my campaigns, I gave that like a snake tattoo showed up on one of their hands because they did something to piss off the Centurim, and they're like, "We have to get out of town." <laughs> and they, yeah, they they just left, and it was like really cool to see that like i'm like well there's some aborted plot hooks but like yeah that's that's your penalty like (laughs) um which is really cool to see that like because in a certain type of murder murder hobo players be like ah 
I could take whatever they throw at me. But like they were like, oh, okay, we gotta we gotta get out of here. And I was like <laughs> proud of my world building that they like the stakes were high enough that they were honest with what they would do. Yeah, knowing my players, the other players would have uh, been eyeing him hungrily for oh. the bounty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. What is the most interesting way to make something play out over time? So they have these tattoos, they have the curse, but now we have to actually do something with it. Uh, so so one is that, that I've done before is not giving them all the information or like not like not letting them know the full ramifications of that. So one example is like they'll put on a magic uh, belt or something. And they'll suddenly feel this like weird sensation. And I'll be like, okay, you're cursed. And they'll be like, ah, and they'll take off the, the, the belt and, and they'll be, I'm like, you're still cursed. And they're like, with what? You know, cause a lot of curses are like, you get minus two and you take this, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just like a math problem added to your character. But when you don't, you're like, you don't know. Like that's when they're like, oh crap, crap, crap. I'm cursed. What do we do? Do we leave the dungeon? Do we? <laughs> like, that's when it's great is when, they don't have all the information and they're just freaked out. Hmm. Yeah, I like don't, that. I think showing the stat block is probably the worst thing that you can do for like what happens. Definitely. So it's like you got to figure it out as you go. Yeah. And I've, I've seen some people play and they like show the monster stat block like as it enters the battlefield. It's like, what? That just that feels too gamey. That feels too not a there's no Yeah, there's no magic involved. In, yeah, there's no in, in terms of like a, a theatrical sense. Mm-hmm. So you need you really need to have that uh, mystery to where the players are trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And they know something's up, but they don't necessarily have the whole image in their head yet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I'm thinking back to David's, uh, when, he, when you got that festering wound from that ogre. Like, just as they're walking, you know, through the dungeon, like, just be like, okay... Uh, you take one damage. And you're like, from what? It's like, you take one damage. And just like, as they go, like, okay, you take another damage. You're like, okay, from what? <laughs> like, and so they have the lingering wound of the festering wound. Um, but they don't know what it's coming from. So eventually they'll freak out and they're like, oh, I check my... And they'll, they'll find out. But I love, you know, even like giving them damage from nowhere. Um, or from somewhere, but they don't know where it's coming from. That's way more scary than like, oh, because of your uh, festering wound condition, you continue to take one damage per hour. You know, it's like, it's way more fun if you're like, oh, something, your arm is hurting, you know. You know, it's cool too, um, but I feel like that the game needs more knobs to turn because mm-hmm. um, most players would just cast remove curse and, and move on and, and not even worry about it. But having it stick in such a way that's like, oh no, you need to do like, research you need to find someone who's an expert on like curses or disease curses um and and that's a whole side quest a side plot or at least a relationship yeah and and i think um even as players get more experienced or even higher level um you can start doing those things because yeah it's it's easy okay you're poisoned you're having disease okay here's magic whoop you're you're fixed but to do that like okay i cast remove curse but it doesn't work (laughs) and you go okay i cast uh remove major curse it doesn't work. And those are the things where some people might get upset, but if it, if they're very experienced or very high level, 
that's when you can be like, no, this is like, this requires much more than a, a me- you think a mere spell could end this curse. <laughs> or even, um, okay, so I think one of the other things is that, um, like, even saying, like, it doesn't work is something that you you shouldn't do. I think that you should yeah, you wait like, tell like, them, oh. like, like, yeah, you cast remove curse. And it's like, like, the players have to, like, wait until, like, <laughs> oh. and see if it works or not. Like... Because yeah. uh, just, like, telling them, like, whether or not something works kind of takes away the magic of something. It does and, feel kind of yeah. gamey if you're, like, yeah. immediately giving them that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had one of my players was a high-level, um, uh, what are the snake people called? How am I forgetting? Yuan-Ti. Oh, yeah. I call him Yuntai. Um, high-level uh, snake person. And one of their racial <laughs> benefits is they're um, immune to poison. So he was like a really, he was a mastermind rogue. So he's, you know, dealing in poisons all the time, dealing in situations where he possibly could be poisoned. But since he had that trait, he didn't have to worry about it. He could sip anyone's wine that anyone handed to him and he didn't have to worry about it. But then once, I think he was like level probably 17 or 18, like he got poisoned from a drink and he's like, what? I'm immune to poison. I'm like, dude, you're level like 18 you don't think that the, the enemies that are against you don't have means of making a poison that overrides your mere racial trait? <laughs> <laughs> and and it really and he's like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess guess that makes sense. Because yeah, once you get um to a certain point, there are some things like, hey, that, that doesn't work anymore. Like you can introduce mechanics where it's like, this isn't gonna be solved by a simple racial trait or a simple spell. Like it'll take a side quest or it'll take a lot of money to fix uh it makes me think of the death curse from the tomb of annihilation which influences or it um, oh. impacts even the most powerful casters yes um, like a remove curse maybe slows or pauses uh, a curse for a day or but something. it doesn't remove it yeah yeah i i really like that, that it's such a good mechanic because it's like this ticking clock that yeah you can't just snap your fingers and ignore mm-hmm and it's funny, like you gave the example of there's all these sort of uh, locks, these uh, systems in 5e that like um, keys and locks. It, it also gives you the key, and it's like, oh well, like th- here's the problem, and here's the solution. Rangers can't get lost High for five. any reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> High five. <laughs> High fantasy five. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so here's my question. Um, Let's say that the average person is playing a D&D game that lasts for all of five sessions before petering out. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have meaningful, satisfying, long-lasting consequences in this game? Oh, I don't know. It depends. So is, is it a conclusive story or did it peter out? Because I think those are two very different things. Uh, going off of uh, anecdotally and based on what all the Reddit people say, um, it always peters out. Then no, I don't think Oof. so. Like it's, <laughs> I think you can't, you can't experience like the, like the effect of consequences long term if you're not playing long term. Yeah, I think <laughs> if you phrase it like petering out, like yeah, you could almost say, "Hey, is the rogue a fun class? Not if your <laughs> game peters out." <laughs> 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 like i think everything fails like on that <laughs> if we're judging by that i think but, if your game's think... printing out you have bigger issues than <laughs> long-term effect satisfaction <laughs> um 
No, I, I think in general, though, this is why I am more reticent to play one-shots. Because I love these long, satisfying arcs that take so many sessions to, to, to become fully realized. And I don't think you can get that in, um, in a one-shot. I, I think, in my opinion, this might be a hot take. I think one-shots are for introducing new people to the game, testing out a new system, or testing out a new genre. Hmm. That that's what I think one shots are for. But I've seen some people who show up every week to play a new one shot. Really? Yes. Which which yeah was that boggles my mind. Fast. I, I think one shots can be. I think there's more to one shots than what you're saying. So I, I would disagree with that. Okay, let's hear it. Well, I think that there's um there's a lot of like conclusive stories that can be told in a in a one off deal. And yeah, I think well, that. Like you're you're necessarily you're not necessarily experiencing you know the, the characters as deeply or as meaningfully, but you can still have very strong stories and a lot of fun in a one shot. And I think that a serialized you know D and D game is very different. But I I wouldn't necessarily say that there isn't value to playing one shots. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of actually Fiasco now, of how yeah. there's, like, Act 1, Act 2, yeah. and there's, like, you're kind of more consciously thinking, okay, my next scene, how am I going to wrap up this arc or, like, do what... And, and you're more thinking like a screenwriter in that way, that, like, you're... Um, you are thinking of arcs more quickly, almost like you're you're making a movie instead of writing a TV show. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Exactly. Exactly. So, I think exactly. yeah, you're right. I think with with good players, they can wrap up an arc that can be not as satisfying as like a multi session arc, but can be quite quite satisfying. The thing is, fifth edition is essentially made to be like a comic book series. Yes. Like mm-hmm. you're you're made to be like the Justice League, where mm-hmm. you're like these epic characters that get introduced, and then you follow all their different storylines and adventures, and then you know go through all their reboots and. Rebirths and whatnot, <laughs> but but like you're playing a heroic fantasy, and that's that's the the exact genre that it's meant to be. So, fifth edition doesn't handle one shots as effectively as other systems. So I, I like I do agree with you. Like a serialized you know game is much more fun and much more meaningful, especially in regards to five e. But there are definitely other systems out there. Like we mentioned fiasco, which is designed for, you know, those, those high impact one off deals. And it's super fun when you play. And fiasco really makes you think like a screenwriter. Like you're like, okay, so I've got to get from here to here. And I've only got two scenes to do it. Like, and it's, Oh yeah. I, I highly suggest anyone listening to, to try and play fiasco because it will make you flex muscles that you might not have known that you have. <laughs> <laughs> so true, though, and and it, it will improve your five E experience. Yes, because yes. I I let me evangelize for a second. I think <laughs> that every GM and player of five E will be um, your experience and your uh, discernment and every part of your game will be improved by playing other systems. Whether it's yes. because you re- realize that there's sort of a a tool from this game you can use or a technique or whatever it is. Um, it, it can only help you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've seen some of the most seasoned role players, um, 
you know, people who have been playing for sometimes 30, 40 years um, just have this this mastery of, like, different systems. And it's really cool that they, if you look at, like, their home game, it'll be like, okay, I took this from this and this from this. And sometimes if we go into a dungeon, we'll use this rules, but sometimes we'll use this rules. And it sounds complicated, but they have it down to, like, an art form. Um, and you can just see the skill oozing out of them just from all the experience they've had. I mean, from all the different editions of D&D and, and all the different systems they've played just helps overall completely. And any, you know, system that really ignites your passion for the game is really just, like, beneficial to play. Because if you're not happy with, like, the state of, like, 5e or any other, like, mainstream system, Pathfinder or whatever, there's, oh, there's a bunch of different things that you can do to, you know, niche up your game and make it something that you want to play. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess kind of to wrap up here, my observation is that the complexity of your campaign will necessarily increase over time. And the longer you play in a game, the more relationships, situations, um, diseases, curses, whatever, um, along with, of course, your abilities and spells and, and your capacity and capability as a player character, they just increase almost exponentially. And yeah. so you cannot help but have um, scars, so to say, even if they're not literally scars, um, but things from your character's past that are going to be long-term effects and they're going to have a bearing on your game. Yeah, this is almost a reason why I, I hate to add people later into a group that's been playing a while because you know every session you'll have to explain this scar or this relationship or why that's a soft subject for this character you know <laughs> like and it could be interesting to kind of have a, a greenhorn suddenly thrown in there but um a lot of times that yeah it, the complexity increasing is there is a really yeah robust thing that happens um mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to shove someone into it and it's it's not really something you can plan on um, yeah, yeah. Because I don't know any GM who can sit down and write out an entire campaign and have it go exactly along the lines that they laid out. Like, it's going to deviate. Um, but what you can do is plan the next session and the next session after that, you know? And yeah. And yet, you can't predict when your, uh, your players are going to um, take over the Thieves' Guild and then have all these connections now of people <laughs> who are either trying to kill them or trying to become their ally. <laughs> True. Yeah, so like thinking about like with the Thieves Guild, like there's there's all sorts of factions or organizations that um whether you're on good terms or bad terms with them can greatly affect um the game. Um so what are some what are some lasting social consequences that you guys can think of? I'm just thinking of the uh um the meme everyone dislikes that. <laughs> where, okay. where, where you where you take an action and it's just so bad that everybody uh, dislikes it. So I think that um, betraying people is an easy way to get yourself in bad standing with any sort of group, kingdom, person, uh, religion. Just uh, betrayal is a common uh, one. So going against someone's back, going behind someone's back, and you know, essentially uh, taking advantage of them. Whether it's stealing yeah. a valuable artifact or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, I think it's really important to punish the players. Like, if they do something, right, if they're 
murder hobo uh, an entire village. Like the the city watch should be after them, or like the rangers guild should have heard about that and like not let them in. Um, and or they'll it, have a bounty important. on their head. Yeah, and a bounty on their outlaws. heads. Like the, yeah, and, and like um, I really love think like the. Well, the game where everyone disliked that is from, like, the Fallout games and, like, Bethesda games. Like, um, usually there's, like, the main quest line. And a lot of them, however many factions you made good with, uh, are on your side in, like, the final battle. Um, I'm thinking of, like, the Avengers in-game portals opening up. Like, everyone that you've been nice to over the whole campaign shows up. <laughs> but then you've been playing with a bad group, so the portal opens up and only one and, person steps no. through. <laughs> <laughs> no and that's why yeah no think of that on the other side like think of the yeah. final battle but like uh the, the portals are opening up and everyone you've ever wronged is like helping the oh bad no <laughs> like i think it's, it's really important to bring back um and i mean i talk about how um you know like nostalgia is really important in especially long-term games um where it's like oh i remember him or oh this guy is doing this or oh you heard from this guy that um the, the npc that you messed with a long time ago is doing something over here um bringing back characters um can be really effective as allies or as uh as the allies of your your nemesis um yeah this reminds me of a show from the uh, the USA channel it's come and gone as far as i know um, it was called Burn Notice. Monk. And uh, in this show, Burn Notice, they had a relatively small cast of of people um, and, mm-hmm. and they recycled yeah. them almost constantly. Um, but the person who was like the villain or the mark or whatever it was last week who they completely annihilated their gang, the next week comes to the heroes asking for help. And yes. it's like, oh, I remember that guy. And so like, as you yeah. say, leaning on nostalgia and familiarity um, – and having a relatively tight cast of characters where it's not like, oh, like there's, you know, a hundred million people in this game and you might meet one. It's like, no, no, there's realistically, there's 20 people and you're going to continually bump into them. Yes. <laughs> so and, you better make good. <laughs> I think someone was, I can't remember where I heard this. I think it might have been Conan or something talking about writing for the Simpsons. And it's, it's always like, cause they have this, like Springfield is really like 40 people um, <laughs> and that are always popping up. And when, like, in writing or in um, creating a a world, like, like being a dungeon master, um, you have to think, like, why would I introduce a new person when an older person they dealt with in the past would do? Because, <laughs> I mean, obviously there's a line where it's like, okay, I think we're interacting with the same three people over and over, um, where the world, it just breaks the immersion because it feels like you're in a simulation with the same actors doing uh the same roles but i think there is um a benefit of bringing back characters in that way Mm -hmm. within reason yes yes there's always a line (laughs) all right well let's open up the question vault welcome to the question vault each week we answer one of your questions uh, that has been submitted via twitter or through our email which is voxercanapodcast at gmail.com this week's question is from someone named Will, who writes, "What do each of you keep in your game master's kit?" Oh, th- oh, this is a yeah, really simple. Is it like really our full kit, or is it like? I think it's asking about tools that we use. What's behind the screen? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I really okay. Oh man, I have gone from really heavy prep, not heavy prep, but like lots of materials. To 
almost no materials. And then <laughs> now I'm inching my, my way back to more materials. Um, not as much as when I was like a panicked uh, starting dungeon master, a baby DM who was you know had to have something for everything. Um, and then I got into this like, okay, I can just improv anything. Who cares? To, <laughs> okay, now I want to have, um, yeah, I guess it would be a few random tables. So for me, it would probably be for my new campaign the critical uh, or the lingering injuries thing sanity rules so kind of it's stuff that we've talked about uh probably a map of the dungeon or something uh lots of sticky notes and then my one paper that's like the campaign paper that's kind of Dang. jot down important stuff that's yours is very all. yeah it sounds um it's it's not a lot of stuff but it's very analog it sounds like yeah oh yeah i i actually i am a dinosaur when it comes to tech i I think a few of my players have switched to using a an iPad, using everything on D&D Beyond. And everyone who I've heard that uses D&D Beyond loves it. But I just am so... I like the the paper. I like the, the books. Um, so yeah, everything I have is printed out um, or, or written freehand. Man, hyperlinks on D&D Beyond really are a game changer. Yeah, like, just be able to look up spells. So I, there was a moment when I was running Tomb of Annihilation, which was the first uh, module I ran that was essentially totally uh, digital. And there was a, a dagger one of the NPCs has, no spoilers. And the dagger, uh-huh. uh, on top of all the things it does, also casts spells. And so within the dagger entry, you can mouse over to find the spell. Otherwise, you would be opening, I believe, at least two, if not three different books to look up the effect yeah. of one item. That's true. Uh, yeah. So, David, um, I, I I feel like I'm I'm the exact opposite. I'm a I'm a digital man. Digital dancing, digital style. So I I have um, like the 2018 iPad, and I recently, like within the past year, got an Apple Pencil, and that's changed oh. my life. Um, it's do those work good? It works amazingly. So one of my favorite things about it is that um, I have an app called Notability and I can write and then I can like, you know, highlight the text and turn it into like, um, like, uh, like uh, word processor text. So I can, um, I can also like copy and paste images into the notes. So let's say I want to um, paste a stat block into my, my digital notes then I can just like have that and I, it's just like pasted in there. So when I'm scrolling through, I don't even have to tab over into a different app. Um, apps like the D and D beyond app is great. Um, uh, yeah. Notability is just like my number one, like note taking app. It's just super amazing on the iPad as combined with the Apple pencil. So like, those are like my two like biggest resources. Um, all of my, that's where I keep all of my notes. That's where, um, it's just so efficient and, I used to be super analog, and I wouldn't use my iPad before except to reference, like, you know, books. But the pencil really is what, like, makes it so um, useful for me, personally. But, I like, you can do without it with just, like, a normal notebook and pencil. But if you have it, I would use it. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Me and David are far sides of the spectrum, it seems. <laughs> well uh mine is gonna be more a little more digital but not quite as uh retro future blade runner as david over here <laughs> get down to a uh, data pad uh no so probably the number one tool in my toolkit has been a laptop and huh. 
just because it does everything, as we mentioned, Ian, to be honest, great. You should definitely be using it if you're playing 5e. Um, I, I always have PDFs open, but my number two tool in my notebook or in my, my laptop, I guess my DM kit is Google Sheets. And oh, yeah. I'm I'm not really a spreadsheet guy. Like there's there's some people who just really live their life out of spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. Um and I've only been using them probably for the past two years just to track everything except like the things that people probably track, like their financial data and whatnot. <laughs> like, I, I have like every spell from the game and, and so on. Whatever. Um but no, I I learned that because uh, I've been running a mega dungeon since um for about seven months now, eight months. Wow, that's uh-huh. been, a t- been a long while. Um, but I learned that I can easily input a dungeon into a spreadsheet, and so I don't have to be flipping through pages of a PDF or through a physical book. And then, it, like if let's say the players they did this once, they left a note or a message in one of the rooms. I just open that cell, and I you know they killed the monsters, so I backspace the monsters, and I say, and there's a note here that says X Y Z. And so then, uh-huh. if another group of players comes into that same room, I'm like, oh wait, let me just read this. I don't have to have sticky notes i don't have a notebook i'm fumbling through it's just it's all right there and uh hyper referenceable yeah yeah if i'm if i've learned anything from like what we're all talking about it's like you need to find a way to uh organize your thoughts in a way that's easy for you to access Mm -hmm. so we each have our own methods but i think that being organized is probably the biggest thing that you can do yeah tool that you can have in your belt to where whenever you need to reference something, you can just whip it out instead of having yeah. to dig through, you know, 20 books. Yeah, because that, that can slow the pace of the game. Like, I think when the dungeon master is on, you know, they, they're the master of their toolkit, the master of their domain behind the screen. Um, that can really excite the players, too. If they know the dungeon mm-hmm. master is on, can answer any question very quickly, um, has someone else assigned to be the rules lawyer or to look up something, um, th- that increases the pace and excitement of the game in general is if you're prepared ready to answer anything or look up anything yeah. i think definitely because you can be prepared but you can you can also lack organization and you can yeah. have the right notes but then if you're you know spending if five minutes to... <laughs> digging through like trying to find that specific answer to the question then you're gonna you're just gonna slow your game down and break that immersion that you're looking yeah. for uh, I, I don't know who said this quote. Um, I want to say it was Adam Savage from Mythbusters. Um, but he says, the best tool is the one you use. Huh. And, mm, true. and that's absolutely true, like David's saying. Yeah. De- yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of, uh, I mean, when I was an early Dungeon Master, I had like all the books open. I had, you know, everything. I had a billion notes and everything was disordered. I, I just thought I had to be prepared for anything. But then like, as I played more and more and more and more, I would go, okay, I rarely need this. I do not need this. I can streamline this into just this paragraph. I can, and everything got smaller. And uh, yeah, definitely. That that's a that quote makes a lot of sense. I also have a uh, throwaway. Uh, I guess you call it a yellow legal pad, but mine's like a quarter of the size. Um, I got it for like a, like a five pack for four dollars at Office Depot um, years ago, uh-huh. and. So between a laptop, a spreadsheet, and a, and some paper to write on, that's all I need. Yeah, yeah. I um, I've made do with just sticky notes for a long time. I, I think um, I, I did this fun thing where I so I every session I would just write down everything on whatever sticky notes I needed, and I just stick them on top of each other. 
Um, and at the end of the campaign, I like had like the entire like campaign in this pile of sticky notes, like in reverse order. Hmm. And so it was really cool. I went back and like made a, a kind of a rough Google doc of like the campaign, what happened, what choices they made, who they met. Mm. And it was really cool to like flip through almost like this, uh, this strange sticky note flip book <laughs> in reverse order of, of what they did entirely. That, I kind of like that. There's something um, sloppy and, and fun about just a pile of sticky notes. <laughs> yeah. It's also why it's so hard, I think, for GMs to publish their notes is because they can be in any imaginable configuration. Yes. And it works great for them. But you see it and you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> how how can anyone use this? It's like Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, it's a, what, a, what are you writing here? It is no, a, I, a diagram of someone else's brain. Yeah, I, I yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. I saw I think Matt Mercer posted his for an NPC, um and it was so funny. Like I was looking and it was like, wait, it says the name this number random random number that doesn't have any place, uh Cockney, uh Brown, and you're like, wait, what and it's like, oh that Cockney accent. Like, yeah, and it, you could tell it's looking at someone's brain configuration that isn't yours. <laughs> and it's really interesting to see that. Because yeah, they use what they use and that becomes their tool belt yeah well great answers lads all right thank you for listening to vox arcana episode 64 i'm william i'm jake and i'm david we'll see you next time